Welcome to the Weird Christmas Podcast. I'm Craig Kringle. Seven days, man. Seven days since the writing contest ended, and it's been stressful. I didn't expect to get the almost 200 entries I got, and I certainly didn't expect them to be so good. Now, I know a lot of people who entered just want to know the results, so for the quick and dirty, head over to weirdchristmas.com, and if you're listening soon after this is released, all the results will be in the first post. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, this year I ran the first annual, and it will be annual, Weird Christmas Flash Fiction Contest. I asked for very short flash fiction stories of no more than 350 words that dealt with Christmas or other winterish holidays in some strange or unusual way. They could be funny, creepy, science fiction, whatever. But it had to be creatively different. No cute kids saving Christmas and whatnot. And what I got was pretty overwhelming. I was honestly scared that just about everything I'd get would be total schlock and that I'd have like a five-minute show to share the winner and apologize for hating everything else. Instead, I'm sitting here recording this, knowing that I'm not even going to include some of the things that I really, really like. There's just not enough time to read everything. But that just means that everybody listening actually gets a really good show. So what I did was pick ten honorable mentions, in addition to the first and second place winners. And apart from the two winners, which I'll read at the end, the rest are not at all in any order of goodness or ranking. In fact, I had so much good stuff that I was able to pick out a good variety in addition to quality. So these other ten aren't necessarily better than some of the other ones that I haven't included, but I did want to spread things around a bit. For example, I got a bunch of what I guess you'd call evil Santa stories. I was kind of expecting that, where, you know, Santa's a monster, or is evil and being punished, or is actually some Cthulhu thing. All of those were real entries. But I don't want to fill up the whole show, even though there were a bunch of good ones. Instead, I chose just one. Holly Jolly Christmas by Barbara Tarkowska. We were all running around the house, pulling out drawers and cabinets, rummaging through every one of them, looking for something less worthless than all our other stuff. Dad was quiet. He seemed nervous. Mom tried helping us at the same time as she was cooking the Christmas dinner. The house was full of warm steam and smells flowing out of the kitchen. Yes! shouted my younger brother in excitement while he lifted a necklace up in the air in his tiny pale hand. He ran to the living room and placed the ring inside a cardboard box in the middle of the room. Dad looked at him, but drew the glance away quickly. Good job, bud, he said, but no excitement was heard in his voice. Sam smiled in response and went back to looking for something to place in the box. Dad leaned at the dresser and hid his face in his hands, drawing the sweat off his forehead. The clock was ticking. The atmosphere was tensing up. I thought about my little brother's first birthday soon to come to distract myself. He was excited about it, and so was I. A thud was heard above our heads. Dad lifted his head. Everyone froze. A second later, Mom rushed to the cardboard box, closed it, and tied it with a ribbon around it. The thuds continued. A cloud of ash flew out from the chimney. When the cloud disappeared, a fat man in a red coat stood tall where the cloud once was. He walked up to my mom and snatched the box out of her hands. She gasped and stepped back. He tore open the box and frowned when he looked down in it. This is not enough, he said in a deep, calm voice. A tear rolled down my mother's cheek as the man grabbed my screaming brother and chucked him in the sack on his back. He returned to the chimney, and just as fast as he came, he was gone. A thud was heard on the roof. The Christmas tree lit up the room beautifully. Now, the narrator there is my new buddy, Old Man Freak Boy, from the radio show, Hey You Kids, Get Off My Lawn. 
He's doing another story in a bit, but definitely go find that show's holiday edition. There's some great odd Christmas songs in there, and you can get all the shows from past years, too. The links are at weirdchristmas.com. Now, when I did this, I didn't know if I'd get more funny weird or creepy-ass weird stories, and it definitely weighed heavy on the creepy. People try hard to get away from the sappy, it seems, but it gave us some good freakouts. And this is one that, to me, feels like it borrows a lot from the vibe of the old Christmas ghost stories, even though I'm not sure this thing is actually a ghost. Christmas Wishes by Angel McDougall For the last three years, Mike and Cindy have received a special gift from a mysterious source. The first year it happened, they had decorated their tree just like always. Upon closing the box of ornaments, they noticed a small item inside. It's just like the watering can we have outside, Cindy showed it to Mike. They were delighted with how sweet it looked dangling from the tree. In the spring, they realized the real watering can was missing, but figured it was somewhere in the barn. The following Christmas, the box held an exact miniature of the scarecrow in their cornfield. Look, his tie is exactly like Mr. Bojangles, said Mike. I wonder who's leaving these for us. Cindy shrugged. I don't know, maybe your brother? It sounds like something he'd do. Mike agreed, and they spent the rest of the evening on the sofa, snuggling and dreaming about Christmas. When the scarecrow couldn't be found the following summer, they assumed the wind took it. Last year, they could hardly wait to see what their secret Santa had left them. Oh my gosh, it's the outhouse, Cindy squealed. Laughing, Mike took the ornament and put it on the tree with the other two. It took two days for them to realize the real outhouse was no longer standing. They couldn't explain where it went, but it was old and rickety and needed to be taken down anyway. This year, Mike and Cindy could barely contain their excitement. Standing next to the bare tree, their eyes sparkling and with huge grins, they opened the box of ornaments. I can't wait to see what we got this year, said Cindy as they dug through the decorations. I've got it. Mike held the item up to show Cindy. As their eyes focused on the ornament, their smiles faded. Cindy's mouth fell open. Just then, little Emma's voice came over the baby monitor. Mike dropped the replica and rushed up the stairs to the baby's room. Cindy picked up the perfectly crafted tiny wooden crib and clutched it to her breast. That was the author herself reading it. Yeah, I went ahead and contacted everyone I was going to include, although not everyone wanted to read their own story. I didn't tell anyone if they'd won or lost yet, with one exception, so there's still a bit of mystery. But if you submitted a story, I'm guessing you've already gone and checked the website by this point, so I'm not spoiling anything. But we got to lighten things up a bit. So let's move on to a very different mood with even a touch of history in Benito Sereno's The Pooped Elf. The elf set down his hammer and stretched his back. He loved his work. It's what he was born to do. But sometimes his hands cramped and the heat of the workshop's forges got to him. It had been a long day of carving Hatchimals, so he headed upstairs for a break. Maybe some cocoa or a candy cane. The kitchen was not empty. It never was. Now he encountered one of the Peaton, who were always scrambling around doing one festive thing or another. This one was pulling cookies out of the oven. Must be the chef one. Chef Pete? Why couldn't they have normal names like... Guthmunder! How are you? asked Chef Pete as he laid before the elf a plate of fresh, spicy-smelling little round cookies with white icing. Have a pfeffernus. Thanks, Pete, Guthmunder replied. It's just been a long day at the workbench... Sometimes I envy that little log out in Spain who makes presents just by pushing them out his rear. 
Sure, the children hit him with sticks to knock him loose, but I take a few minutes of flogging over a year of carving sometimes. Funny you should mention that, the boyish chef said. I was just thinking of a story from the old days of the saint. Once he traveled by a chapel and felt a sudden urge to pray, so he left his donkey outside to graze. But the young animal got impatient and, forgetting to wait for his master, wandered off. When St. Nicholas emerged from the church, he searched all over, calling out for the donkey, who, by now, was really lost. Long story short, when the saint finally found him, the donkey was so excited, he pooped everywhere. Guthmunder froze mid-chew, crumbs pouring out of his slack jaw. Great story while I have a mouthful of cookies. Yeah, well, Pete countered, that's why I told you. When the donkey's droppings hit the snow, they were turned instantly into little round spice cookies. A cookie miracle. Anyway, that's where Pfeffernusa come from. The elf had never been happier to get back to work. Yes, Benito was actually on another show earlier, but he asked if he could write a story. I was going to ask him to do it already, because, come on, the dude's a legit getting paid writer, but he volunteered before I could ask. Don't worry, he wasn't in the running for the prize, no playing favorites. Well, let's get back to the less funny side of the weird. Here's A Glow by September Heron. The Thompson family took to the mountains for the holidays to escape their small town's annual Christmas embarrassments. The tree lighting ceremony, caroling, Photos with Santa in the town square. It was a three-hour drive to the cabin, and the family passed the time by mocking tacky motifs of lighted homes along the way. When the family arrived at the destination, the cabin windows were aglow. Who's here? Son asked. Mother looked to father, a fear of the unknown reflected in her eyes. No one, said father. Father told his family to sit tight and stepped out of the car. Fresh snow covered the cabin roof and a small path had been shoveled leading towards the steps. Strings of flickering bulbs twisted along the porch railing. Father turned the doorknob and stepped inside. A man stood in the glow of multicolored lights that were strung along the window frames and mantelpiece. He was the spitting image of Father. You've got air in your lungs, but you refuse to sing, said Father's doppelganger. Father's chest tightened. What I mean is, other father leaned in closer, why are you here? if not to celebrate. Father's last breath smelled of peppermint. A fire crackled in the hearth as other father dragged the body into a closet and washed his hands in the bathroom pedestal sink. Mother and son's voices grew louder as they approached the front door. Merry Christmas, said other father, his arms open wide to greet his new family. Twinkling lights spiraled up a noble fir in the center of the room. The tree sagged with shimmering tinsel that Father would have likened to the vomit of a deranged Christmas monster trapped in its branches. Son's smile beamed as he beheld the sight of the tree, the star on top reflected in his eyes. That was Old Man Freak Boy again from Hey You Kids Get Off My Lawn. Okay, this next one. I don't really know what to say. I mean, I could say a lot, but, um, just, yeah. <laughs> Here's Oh Holy Night by Kelsey Haunts. Once Uncle Harold stuck the candy cane up his ass, the holiday was over. Grandma froze with the turkey halfway out of the oven, giblets spilling all over the place. My brother leapt to cover the cousin's impressionable eyes to distract them with the promise of shiny new Hot Wheel tracks in the playroom far, far away. The babies in their bassinets and Santa socks shrieked as if they knew what had happened, the peppermint atrocity. Aunt Kathy fainted and knocked her head against the ornament collection, rising to find a miniature Rudolph stuck inside her ear, beaming his red light out through the cilia. 
Everything was utter chaos. Presents flew, mashed potatoes boiled over, eggnog splattered. We didn't even get a chance to enjoy our annual tradition of squinching our legs together uncomfortably, waiting for the wine-drunk relatives to ask if we'd been going to church. It was going to be especially uncomfortable this year, too, now that my sister-in-law decided she was an atheist. Oh, how the grigio mouths would purse in disapproval. Instead, we all went home early, scarred and scared. The moral of the story is this. No matter how much you might enjoy a striped holiday treat in your rectum, you'll regret it. Okay, look, if anything is going to earn that pun at the end, Kelsey's story did. And you know that old thing about how you got to grab your reader's attention with the very first sentence? Textbook, man. Textbook. Now get ready for some tonal whiplash, because the next story is a complete 180 in terms of style, subject, everything. This one's a little mix of Cormac McCarthy and Thomas Ligotti, with a healthy portion of writer S.E. Casey doing his own thing. Here's his Stars Over Casper, Texas. Calvin read the name on the man's work shirt. Jesus. How ironic, this being Christmas Eve. Still, he kept the shotgun leveled. This Jesus was no babe, but a wild-haired man carrying an empty sack who tried to break into his barn. Such was life in a border town. Usually, trespassers would flee at the sight of a gun. However, the man stood his ground, seemingly nonplussed. Christmas, Jesus, a barn, was it all a sign? Calvin unlocked the barn door and waved the man inside. It was mostly empty. Calvin nodded to the working sink, and he would allow the trespasser to spend the night. The man reached into his sack. Calvin readied the shotgun, finger on the trigger. Oblivious to the threat, the man withdrew a shining bauble. He rested it atop a hay bale and ambled to the sink. Calvin sidled over to the curio, a splinter of white light encased in glass. He found it so beautiful that he didn't hesitate taking it. Retreating to the house, Calvin locked his doors and retired to the bedroom. He placed the twinkling prize atop the Bible on his nightstand. He couldn't sleep, recounting the many mistakes he had made in his life, the ones that caused him to spend yet another Christmas alone. Despite the night's good deed, he was especially troubled. His act of generosity should have meant something. He looked at the shard of light, but it didn't answer. He gave up on sleep before dawn. Grabbing his shotgun, he walked back to the barn. He found the man nestled between two hay bales. Calvin pushed the shotgun barrel into his forehead. Opening his eyes, the man allowed Calvin to take his sack. Plunging a hand inside, Calvin greedily rooted around for its secrets. His arm numbed as if detached from its body. It was euphoric. He pushed further, ducking his head inside. All resentments and guilt dissolved. He stepped fully through. Adrift in a sea of starry emptiness, darkness enveloped him. The void folded into itself, and he fell, screaming, until he was a tiny point of light. The narrator there is Brian Earle from the Christmas Past podcast reading for us. He was incredibly generous to read that for me kind of last minute, and if you haven't started listening to his Christmas Past podcast yet, you're missing out, especially if you're really into the history of older Christmas traditions. Brian's on his third season, and the show just gets better and better. 
So I actually got fewer straight science fiction stories than I thought I would. I did get a few Wars in the North Pole, which were pretty cool, a few espionage and Jason Bourne-type thriller things, but not as much in terms of, like, aliens and spaceships. I'm not sure that this next one exactly counts as science fiction, because, well, just listen. This is Relief Santa by Nikki Blatchley. Santa C426 Hash put his foot down hard on the reindeer encourager as his sleigh swooped towards the next chimney. He was way behind schedule, though that wasn't his fault. The route was unfamiliar. Why had Control waited till Christmas Eve to replace F823 slash Star after he'd gone missing last year? The sleigh landed on the roof, and C-426 Hash grabbed the sack and dived. Landing in the empty grate, he normalised his size and checked his tablet. Lucy, age five. Surprisingly little information about why she was on the nice list, but that wasn't his responsibility. He was just approaching the big stocking hanging at the end of the bed when the indistinct shape under the covers sat up. C-426 Hash froze, but a small child's voice asked, Are you Santa? Uh, yes. There didn't seem any point in trying to deny it. You should be asleep. Next moment the bedside light came on, showing him a mass of golden curls, huge blue eyes and a red rosebud mouth. With no other options, C426 Hash fell back on the script. Ho, 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 Lucy. Have you been a good girl? Lucy tilted her head to one side and bit her lip. Not really, Santa. That was unexpected. But but you're on the list, was all he could think to say. She giggled, showing deep dimples. Course I am silly. I magicked myself on it, like Mummy showed me. C426 Hash wasn't sure whether he was more shocked that the list had been violated, or that this cute little girl was talking so casually about having done it. But, he tried. Lucy giggled again. You're funny. You're nicer than the last one. I'm going to like having you here. Before he could fathom what she meant, she made a complex gesture, leaving him immobile. He felt himself shrinking, till he couldn't have been more than a couple of inches high. A huge hand picked him up and placed him on the mantelpiece beside another motionless Santa. Lucy surveyed them. I'm going to have a big collection by the time I'm growed up, she said. So cool, all those poor little Santas. Well, the next one is by Linda Radish, author of The Old Magic of Christmas, who I talked to last time. Before we talked for the show, she asked if she could enter the contest, and I said sure, but I think I bummed her out when I said I'd feel weird if she won after I talked to her as a guest. So, Linda, if you're listening, I just couldn't do it. But I do love this story, and I hope you're happy that everyone else gets to share the oddities. Here's Linda Radish's Waiting for Santa. And I'm actually going to read this one. Can't skip out on all the fun. You may have been told that the light elves are beautiful and good, while the dark elves, or goblins, are ugly and evil. Once upon a time this might have been true, but the light elves have grown greedy and fat. They dress all in ruddy furs, helping themselves to whatever they want, driving the goblins deeper into the darkness. The goblins hide among the flues, rarely if ever showing their faces. You can be sure there's at least one goblin living in your chimney, even if your chimney is nothing but a stovepipe. He's grateful for the shelter you've given him. He is entirely at your service. Have you ever woken on Christmas morning to find your stocking emptied of everything except a hardened lump of soot? 
That lump represents the mortal remains of the tiny goblin who died trying to preserve the gifts inside that stocking. His life was freely given, for most goblins will choose death over capture and enslavement to the Light Elves King. Still, the goblins look forward to Christmas Eve when they present their gifts to the children of the house and receive offerings in return. When all is quiet, they tumble down into the fireplace, bouncing on the soft bed of ashes. They creep around the house, looking in on the sleeping children and touching their fingertips to the decorations, though they must shield their eyes from the brightness of the lights. They nibble the cookies and sip at the milk. Then they fill the stockings with all the things they imagine human children will love. Stiff bristled brushes, oddly shaped stones, balls made out of hedgehog skins, and knobby dolls they've whittled with their own soot-blackened hands. Do they know about the Christmas magic that transforms their good intentions into gaily wrapped toys at the stroke of midnight? Probably not, for by then they've scuttled back up the chimney where they wait, sharpen sticks at the ready, and listen for the clatter of hooves. Look, I love elves, and when she said her next book was all about elves, I was already salivating. And this story hits a lot of my personal sweet spots, so thank you, Linda. And we're almost to the winners, but two more honorable mentions first. One light, one dark, just like the elves. Let's go for the light first with Christmas Fair by Michelle Christophero. Christmas Fair, an apology. I know when I said I'd organize the Christmas Fair, you had a reasonable expectation of competence. But I took it on because no other parent would. I didn't know then what a challenge it would be. All the taller meetings would be in the pub. You know what I'm like where alcohol's concerned? I'm sorry there was no Santa or lights for the grotto, but I did provide an elf. I'm sorry that half the kids recognised straight away that the elf was Miss Spencer, though I'm sure it would have been all of them if we'd planned ahead for lights. I'm sorry we made minus £2.20 when they took 3500 last year. I want to say I'll organise a fun run to compensate, but I'm so fucking tired. I'm sorry for swearing. I'm sorry we left the bottle tombola unattended, so that two year sixes had their stomachs pumped, though I'm glad I raised mine properly and it wasn't one of them. I apologise for the mix-up on the beauty stall, though I do question why children as young as seven should have one. I'm pleased to confirm the school has relaxed its appearance policy for the time it takes the colour to grow out or the spray paint to fade, whichever happens first. I also apologise for the quality of the raffle prizes. I do accept that a jar of jam, a carrot and a pot noodle do not a hamper make, which is why I relabeled it Food Bundle. The final prizes were listed in the programme, although I appreciate that, inexplicably, page two of some copies was replaced with a cartoon from the Viz Annual, 1996. I do sympathise with complaints about one of the outside vendors' stalls, but I genuinely believed it sold literature and fantasy figures. I'm sorry for the misunderstanding. Safe to say that Puff the Magic Dragon Limited will not be welcome next year. All that remains now is to elect a volunteer to run the summer fair. Any takers? No? None at all? If you've ever volunteered for a kid's school party or for a fair, you can feel the pain. I know I do. Got one coming up, so this is scarier than the Cthulhu Santa right now. One more before the prizes. So another trend in the entries was taking a Christmas icon or story and giving a different twist or a different origin. Most of that was Santa and Saint Nick, but I got a few that tried it with a different iconic character, like this one, Hamrammer by Jan Kaneen.
the hamrammer. Swirling snow stings my face as I stagger through the midnight blizzard. I'm half mad with cold and hunger when I see an impossible light up ahead in the distance. It looks like hope glowing there in the Arctic wilderness. I stumble toward it without fear. I'm already half dead with nothing to lose. I feel my way, blind to everything but the shining scarlet, stumbling forward into a fence, a pen. Clambering over, I keep my eyes fixed on the glow that seems to bleed into the teeming night. The pulses of ten hearts pound in the blackness as whatever creatures they beat inside snort and stamp. But the soft, sweet smell of their ungulate terror tells me they will offer little resistance. I lunge forward, tooth and claw, ripping and tearing through bone and sinew, feeding fleet and furious, desperate to eat my fill before the heart beats its last. As the life force fades, the light goes out. The first pang of transformation comes swift and cruel, no chance to make my escape. I scream and clench as the wind howls a hole in the clouds, and beneath a pale sliver of moon, my bones break and tendons snap, fusing into hoof and antler. Fur stabs through my every pore like a million needles. When it's over, I stand transformed, a predator no more, for such is the fate of Hamramakind, we are folk all, who must take the shape of our devoured prey for the turn of one full day. I stand confined as the herd stamps its panic, watching the snow fall thick and fast, until the gore is covered in an ermine shroud. He comes at first light through frozen fog, bearing buckets of filthy lichen to feed the others, who huddle together in doe-eyed panic. Eat your fill, he ho-ho-hoes. We have a busy night ahead. He pats my chestnut neck with plump fingers that smell ripe for the tearing, singing as he does. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? I salivate, wishing the day away. And there are your honorable mentions. Like I said, there were more I could have included here, even some that I thought at one point or another might be winners that I didn't even read. It's just, I mean, this is hard. I thought I was making progress when I cut the entries down to a final pool of 50. So if you submitted a story and I didn't include it, please don't be discouraged. I'm going to do this again next year and maybe even have a few more actual prizes, but the premise will be the same, so start thinking of stories now. Before we get to the winners who I will actually pay, I'll mention one way you can help, whether you submitted a story or not. I've gotten enough donations through coffee.com this year that I was actually able to cover all the prize money. $25 for second place, $50 for first place, all just from donations. So if you'd enjoy the podcasts or follow the cards on social media during the season, those little $3 donations really do add up and go a long way to being able to do more fun things like this contest. ko-fi.com slash weirdchristmas, and there are links from weirdchristmas.com. 
I really appreciate all the people who've donated anonymously since last time, as well as Carrie Mercer, who said that the show is like the X-Files for Christmas, which is just awesome. Thanks to Tony Dixon and to Chris Stanley, who said he was wrapping presents while listening. Guys, you have made this thing actually possible. Okay, so how did I choose the winners? Bribes? Cajoling? Did I send it to the people who sent me emails every day after the deadline to see if I'd decided? Pro tip, don't do that. No, it was a whole mix of things. The whole point of a really short story, I think, is to grab one image or idea and make it vibrate and sing. Or at least that's my sense. There's got to be like a perfect mix of the idea with execution. I got a few stories that were all set up for a final twist, but I think that's really hard to pull off well, especially if the build-up doesn't leave you with any questions or is just kind of humdrum stuff. What I'm saying is I got a ton of stories that had really cool creative ideas, but they also needed to be told in a way that kept me wrapped, even once I got the premise. I know that's still pretty subjective, but I mean, it's my contest. I can do what I want. So to it, here's the second place winner, The Lost Not Found, by Sherry Morris. The pastor and his wife dropped in today, looking for Leone. We're concerned, they said. She's resting, I said. Prayed it stay quiet in the basement. Almost laughed, but knew they wouldn't find it funny. They said there was CCTV footage of a woman who looked like Leone, with a dog that looked like Buster. People don't like the baby Jesus to go missing from their nativity scene, they said. I shrugged. People were petty. I let them yammer on about finding support, how they understood this couldn't be an easy time. When I heard movement downstairs, I shooed them out. I made myself a large whiskey, no ice, no water. Of course it wasn't an easy time. Such a stupid thing to say. Is there ever an easy time to lose a child? Coping mechanisms. That's what the counselor said. She probably said more, but I stopped going. Wasn't productive. I'd get home and smash something. We're out of mugs and photo frames. Spared the tumblers, though. They're useful. Leone's approach is to take walks with our dachshund Buster. She's taught him a game. To retrieve what we've lost, she says. That's another stupid phrase. It's not like we misplaced our son. We put him in his crib, on his back, like we were shown. Kissed him goodnight. But we lost him, nevertheless. Six months ago. For us, time hasn't moved one millisecond. Our loss is fresh. Raw. Irretrievable. Leone keeps her collection in cribs she assembles in the basement. We don't talk about how she wraps them rocks them, practices placing them on their backs. It's comforting to hear lullabies again. But it's a phase. She'll move on after Christmas. Out the window, something white catches my eye, gliding through the dark. A dachshund passes under a streetlight, carrying something in its mouth. I note a soiled, chewed, plastic face, then back into darkness. Buster's out on his own now, I muse. 
when Leone asked if he could maneuver through cat flaps, I'd been non-committal. I reckon he could. She'll just need to work on his technique. I could say a lot about that one and resign despair at Christmas. It's just so well done. But I know you don't care about me anymore. You want one more story. And yeah, I think in this case I saved the best for last. It just hit all of my buttons. So here it is. The first place winner, He is Coming to Town, by Douglas Jensen. Our first Santa was everything we could have hoped for. Round, jolly, and he smelled of caramelized sugar. When we found him curled up in front of the fireplace, there was still a little soot in his beard. But once we got him cleaned up and installed in the guest bedroom, we could hear him chuckling all night long. To be honest, we weren't expecting the second one. He was a little thin, and when he smiled, you could see his teeth were rotten. Still, he brought a sack full of spinning tops and knock-off cigarettes, so we had the maid put him in the earring cupboard as a spare. The third was frankly unwelcome. We found him wandering the halls in the early hours, and he seemed to speak only Dutch. He doffed his cap on spotting us, and we saw two polished horns peeking out of his silvery curls. Number four was a grand old patriarch, but we were ready for him. When he came crashing down the chimney, sermon in mid-flow, he landed right in the net we had tied to the mantelpiece. It took most of a bottle of cherry brandy to subdue him. After that, they kept on coming hour after hour. One came out naked, pink and glistening like a blancmange. The next was covered in downy feathers. Few of them could speak, and the gifts they carried were increasingly unpleasant. Soon the house was full of guttural laughter like a colony of sea lions. The drains were clogged with white hair, and every room was thick with chill-blained flesh. In the end, we did what anyone would have done. We had the household working shifts, wheeling them out into the garden where the bonfire blazed. We managed to salvage a little bit of festive spirit. Even the children were toasting marshmallows in the flames. Still, we all jumped a little when that last one popped. Was that funny? Was it creepy? Was it terrifying? Was it surreal? Yes, all of it. I read this one right after he sent it to me on my phone while I was out, and I couldn't stop smiling and feeling really disturbed for at least five minutes. That's a good sign. Probably freaked out a few people I passed watching me smile. But I know it'd be hard to beat, and it was. So thank you, Douglas. Thank you, Sherry. And thank you to all the honorable mentions who let me include your story. And thank you as well to everyone who sent in a story. I really do want to do this again, and I'd be overjoyed if every one of you sent in another one next year. But please do wait until next year. I'll totally lose it if you send it now. If you'd like to read them all again, I posted them all at weirdchristmas.com. I'm also trying to get information to share about the authors. I can't pay everybody, but at least I can maybe attract a few new fans, so hopefully I'll have contact information and links to social media accounts and things like that pretty soon. So this has been my most absolute favorite thing about doing this podcast this year, and thank you to all the almost 200 people who participated. Trying to get this done in a week of ending the contest was a stupid idea, and I'll definitely give myself more time next year, but I hope you enjoyed it. If you liked a particular story, go find the post at weirdchristmas.com and leave the author a note. Just leave a note down in the comments and I'll make sure that they get it. Or like I said, I'll try to get social media contact up on the post itself, ASAP, if they're willing to share it. And I know from what people shared with me that a lot of them are already published somewhere else, so I'm sure there's more you can read if you heard something you like. And remember that I'm still part of the Christmas Podcast Network, a site where you can get your hands on all kinds of Christmas podcasting goodness. This week, I'm sharing a clip from Christmas Creeps. Ho, 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 ho! Merry Christmas! 
Greetings, holiday shoppers. I'm Joseph Wade, and I host a podcast called Christmas Creeps. My band of merry mischief makers and I dissect holiday movies and specials all year round in search of the true meaning of Christmas. So whether you can't resist the urge to watch Home Alone in June, or you worship at the altar of mutant killer snowmen, Christmas Creeps is the podcast for the Grinch in all of us. Check us out at christmascreeps.com or wherever you download podcasts. Christmaspodcastnetwork.com. Check it out. And I'm off to work on the next one. Christmas is coming, and I'm behind on pretty much everything. So until next time, don't let Santa stuff you in his bulging, sweaty sack. And one night Santa got drunk, and he crashed his sleigh. He left his reindeer dead on the side of the road. Oh, I'm telling you, Santa Claus is a monster. Santa Claus.